I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there, and welcome back to the Adoption Chronicles. You're with Mick, I'm your host, and we're on episode 45. Can you believe it? And today we're talking with Jane Sleeker. How are you, Jane? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very good. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Um, now, before we get too too deep into your conversation, you've... Um, You've had a lot to do with the literary festival, the Adoption Literary Festival that has um, been quite successful. That was run late last year. Would, uh, congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to hear if it's been successful because I, I haven't sort of followed what's happened since. I know it's been released online, the sort of YouTube um, videos of it now, which is great. So hopefully it will reach more people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, it's a wonderful thing that's um, that's been been done I guess the, the working group has been uh, tirelessly putting things together and uh, and I think it's been really good for our community yeah absolutely and I guess that's the intention isn't it to yeah. kind of strengthen the community and just share stories and and get it out to as much of an audience as possible absolutely and that's what this show is all about as well yeah yeah so um now I guess the first question I would have, knowing that you were a part of the working group, was: uh, Are you how? Is, how do you fit into the adoption triangle? Yes, I'm an adoptee. Yep. Um, I was adopted in 1987, so I guess you know a little bit after yeah. some of the peak of the forced adoption era. Yep. Um, but definitely what I describe as like a carryover right. of. I would think some of the thinking and some of the pressures maybe more so within the family than within the medical institutions or, right. or some of those things that have affected, you know, some of the earlier mothers and adoptions. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, 
I was adopted and, um, yes, I guess was very keen from a young age to not to just get to the bottom of it all, which included, you know, reuniting and searching as soon as I could Mm -hmm. and also involve studying and, and wanting to like pursue working in the area of adoption. Yeah. Nice. So it's definitely been something that you've, um, it's taken not necessarily, uh, formed who you are, but it's definitely something that you've maintained a high level of interest in. Yes. That's, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like how much does adoption define us? Mm. And, yeah, it's it's a tricky thing. Like I think for me my identity became very entwined, not necessarily with adoption, but, yeah, making my professional life about that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it became very tied together, which has actually had its challenges now that I'm still working in adoption but, you know, may not in the longer term, I may not be. And yeah. it's like, oh, what, what, who else am I? Other yeah, yeah. Than well, I guess that's like any career, isn't it? You, you yeah. go down a path and once you've finished that, then it's time to move on. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, but what, you know, what else do I find meaningful? Because yeah. you know, there's that meaning, obviously, that goes along with something that is part of your life story as well, mm. if you do that as a career. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So yeah. when did you find out that you were adopted? Um, well, I don't remember being told, which I guess is good. So I'm not one of the, you know, yeah. late discovery adoptees. Um, so whilst I don't remember being told, I also don't remember very many conversations about adoption growing right. up. Yep. So there was definitely that sense of, um, I don't know, I would describe it as, a real sense of anxiety actually around the topic of adoption and around yeah there were just no conversations really and I definitely picked up on that particularly in my adoptive mother I think I picked up on she seems very uncomfortable with this topic or very anxious so probably if I don't talk about it yep um until later um when I did talk about it (laughs) very vocally (laughs) yep but I guess so yeah, I yeah. yeah, that's right. So it's it's a very interesting triangle because on one mm-hmm. part we've got the adopted person who essentially is the focal point of the entire process and then you've got the birth parents who mm-hmm. play their role and that's they seem to well not seem I can't imagine a bigger decision in their life than the decision mm-hmm. that they made to get this process all happening and then yeah. you've also got the adoptive parents who essentially are receiving the biggest gift they could ever receive so you've got three different parts of the entire story three completely different emotions attached to each part but yeah um so do you know much about the history of why you were adopted or did you find out anything like that or? Yeah, so it came in bits and pieces. Um, when I was, I don't know what age, um, like I often say maybe I was 10, but I'm not really sure. Right. Um, my parents, my doctor parents had this safety deposit box in the city in Brisbane and we went one day to, you know, they kept things, valuable things in there and documents and things like that. 
we went there for something else and mum kind of held up this envelope in front of my face and it had the name Natalie printed on it. And she said, oh, this is from, your birth mother wrote this when you were born. Um, you can read it when you're old enough and put it back in the box. Wow. And that sort of, yeah, I mean, I don't remember a lot, but I remember feeling like frozen and like, do I, yeah. I want it now? Like, I want to know what's in it. When is old enough? I don't know what that actually means. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that kind of, unfortunately almost drove a bit of a wedge between us because after that I kind of felt like maybe she doesn't like it was that feeling like she's got that power over me like she's got something that I want yeah yeah and through my own you know I'm not going to say issues because that's negative but you know through my own adoption experience I don't think I was very good at speaking up Yep. And saying, actually, this is need. Yeah. So I didn't for a very long time until I was about 15. And when I did eventually bring it up, it was very scary and anxiety provoking. She said, yep, yeah, you can you can have it. So I was able to read that when I was 15. And actually, there was a letter from both my birth mother and my birth father. Right. And they kind of explain their reasons um, in these letters. And I think if I remember correctly, my birth mother described it as kind of, yeah, the cliche of what you would hear, like kind of like we're doing this because we think it's best for you mm-hmm. and it's, you know, heartbreaking for us. And I think my birth father wrote something I've returned to in recent years and thought, understand it but it's not a great message to hear he said something like it would be too hard for us to keep you wow um and so that I guess was mine and and that sort of made it clear in those letters that they were going to be continuing um their relationship they were in a relationship yep and they thought they were too young to have a child he was 22 and he was working as a police officer, and she was 17, so she was very young. Yeah. Um, so they also said in the letters, if when you turn 18, if you want to meet us, um, we would we would love that. So I guess that took out some of the fear of search mm. that some people have. Mm-hmm. So like what reaction am I going to get? Yep. And so I thought, okay, well, I think they're going to want to meet. You know, I don't think I'm going to be rejected. So I will reach out and, you know, thankfully, thanks to all the advocates over all the years, you know, that was possible legally by then. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I guess when I found them and I met them, then obviously I got a bit more of an understanding. Yeah. So before before we get too far down that part of the story, when – Let's just go back a little bit to when you were a kid. Was there any part or any time when you were a kid where you would fantasise about what life would have been like if you weren't adopted? I don't know that I thought about what life would be like. I think that concept was mind-blowing. It was like I can't even imagine how... um, it's a real existential mm. sort of concept and it was very weird, I guess, to think 
would be somewhere else. And a bit scary because as much as I had my issues with being adopted, you know, you do connect with the family you're in and it's like well, they wouldn't be in my life. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, a bit disconcerting I think. But I would think about who they are and mm. who they're going to be when I meet them. Yeah. And I definitely had a lot of ideals about what that could look like and I'd see celebrities and be like, maybe that's my mother. Yes, indeed. Um, and I think I gave a little bit of thought to what if I don't like them but not much. Like most of my thoughts were like they're going to be these great people and everything will be better when right. I meet them. Yeah, yeah. 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 So tell us about the process or what happened. How did you get to the point where you're able to, or you were, oh, I guess, were you able to catch up? How was, how did that work out? Yeah. So when I turned 18, I'm not sure how I found all that probably the internet. Um, I, I knew like what forms I had to fill out and I did that. Like I posted them on my 18th birthday. I later found out you could actually post them at 17 and a half uh -huh. and they would, the day you turned 18, they'd send it to you. Didn't know that at the time. So I posted them on my 18th birthday and told my adoptive parents that's what I'm doing. Um, and were they with that? And they were okay. Like they were pretty good at um, putting their needs, I guess, second. Like yep. they were, their reactions, like they did keep that to themselves and were mm -hmm. outwardly supportive so that was really really good and mm. I really appreciate that absolutely um so yeah I sent off the paperwork and then it, as you know it would it takes a while so I think it took that well they told me oh 12 weeks so I right. guess that's three and it got to the three month mark and I was like well mm. where is it mm. um, <laughs> okay wait three months but then when they didn't stick to their end of the agreement on the three months, I was getting very anxious. Mm. Um, and actually I remember my adoptive mother called them, called the department and said, she's really anxious, like where's the information? Yeah, what's going on? Um, and then they fast-tracked it after that. Right. And I got it in the mail. And um, it was, I think I was scared to open it when it first arrived because I knew once I open this, like it's not a fantasy anymore. Yeah. It's real. You're holding Pandora's and box. What if it doesn't live up to all my ideals? Yeah. I remember, and it's funny because I spoke to my birth mother the other day and she told me she's never liked her name. And I remember when I saw even her first name, I just didn't like it. And it's <laughs> like, that can't be my birth mother. That's such a boring name. Yeah. Like, thought my birth mother would be someone interesting and just those little things. Yeah. It just was what I expected. Um, so, yeah, I did after a few hours and then, you know, proceeded with a search. I remember my adoptive father driving me to birth, deaths and marriages to do whatever I had to do there. So, again, like really great, really supportive then to the electoral roll, he's like, I'll drive around the block while you run in and look up the names, the name, I should say. Um, and I remember finding out through the BDM search that she'd married this particular man 
three years after my birth. Right. And at that time, the adoption services weren't releasing birth father names. So I didn't know the name of my birth father, even though he'd written me that letter. They were like, right. we can't give his name. So he didn't sign the letter? Not with his name, no. Right, okay. Probably wasn't allowed to. So I think um, when I got this birth test and married as a result, my gut feeling was telling me I think she's married my birth father. Right. Um, How did that, that feel when gut. you realised that? I think I, I think I was okay. I think I was happy. I think I thought, okay, well, good for them. They've, yep. you know, made this work. Um, I think I was quite except. Yeah, I think I was okay with it and thought, again, maybe, yeah, this is all going to be good now. Yep. Like, yep. I'll meet them and, yep, <laughs> clearly this. Yeah, I thought it was a good thing. Yep. Um. And then I wrote her a letter and I, I think I actually asked it to be, look, I'm ha like, it's okay if I'm wrong, but I think this, I think it's my birth father. So I'm writing this to both of you. Um, and I sent that letter and she, and I actually said in the letter, please don't ring me, please write back. Cause I didn't, I wanted to take it slowly. Mm, and I'd also read all. Yeah, I'd also read all the advice and it was like just letters. But anyway, she didn't follow that. She called me two days later. Um, maybe deep down I was okay with that. I think I was like maybe I was hoping she'd call and I was like just yeah. write. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, she called and, yeah, she said, yeah, that is your birth father. Um, you have a brother and a sister as well. Um, I was 18 at, at this point, so they were like 10 and 11. Right. My, my brother was 11 and my sister was 10. And um, and then we proceeded to talk for several hours and she, I don't know, it kind of became clear to me in the first phone call that there's some very complex family dynamics here, like with her family even, and definitely things were not straightforward right. um, even from the very beginning and that's kind of continued. But, right. yeah. So does that confirm the decision that they made? Was Obviously they made the decision thinking that that was the best thing for you. Mm. Does that confirm that, do you think? Not for me it doesn't. I think for them... I think, you know, if, if if they were here now and you were asking them that question, I think they would continue to say, yep, like we did the right thing and they think I've had a better life. Um, and for me, I can't dispute, like, the good things in my life, yep. like the stability in my adoptive family, my schooling, my education, opportunities I've had. You know, my parents were financially but I don't know. I see, I think because I've worked in adoption, which we might get to, but I've seen, you know, I've heard so many stories of mothers, adopted people, and also just, lit, you know, lit, again, literature on adoption that I'm like, I, I think that's a simplistic view. Like mm. I actually think had 
their parents stepped up and that was what I found out was a major, major factor was more so his parents, his mother, who was very much pushing them down that path. At least that's my perception from what I've heard. I just kind of believe that if they'd had a different kind of support, that actually some of the struggles my birth mother has in her life today might be different. They might not be. Yep. But. You know, I think that's been actually whether or not she would say that from my perception, I think, you know, and we know that about mothers. We know they're more likely to experience mental health issues and complexity, and I think that's been true for her. Um, And, yeah, I guess the relationship with my father is, and she would happily say, yeah, it's not great. Um, And so I think... Yeah, I wonder actually, would they still be, had they actually kept me, would they still be together? Yeah, right. Um, Because I think some, I I sometimes wonder if they've stayed together because they did go through that loss and that trauma together and then the drive to have other children. Anyway, this is all me supposing. Of course, and and this is where the hypothetical comes in. Yeah, I'm very mindful. Everyone's got, you know, their own perspective, but. I think I'd, for me, I would just say adoption is so complex Mm. that on one hand, we kind of just do have to live in the reality of what's happened, where we've ended up. But also, I don't think I can say, yep, you know, 100% it was for the best. Because I think there's a lot of what ifs. Of course. Something might have been better and something's worse and vice versa. So, yeah. 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 So, I guess moving forward then, so you're Mm. out of school and you've had a career in adoption. Was there Mm. any particular moment where you thought, right, this is it, I want to do some work in the adoption field or or how did that come about? Mm. Yeah, when I, so my first degree, I did psychology and I started learning about attachment theory and about, you know, basically, yeah, the bonding of babies with their mothers and how then that, you know, predisposes us to a particular style of relating to other people later in life. And I started going, oh, like just started having that realisation of, oh, my God, I actually think this impacted me negatively. Mm. And I could recognise even how I was with my adoptive parents, I I definitely felt like I'd always been distrustful of them, even though they'd given me no reason to be that way. Well, not to say no reason. My yeah, dad yeah. actually probably a whole bunch of trauma himself through some of his life experiences. But, yeah, definitely I think I came into that with them, even as a baby, very... Um, yeah, distrustful right? because I'd already had that loss. Um, and also I'd gone into foster care for him right. and then adopted. I think, you know, there'd been that disrupted attachment. So I learned about attachment theory and started to have some realisations. And then I voiced something of that nature to the lecturer and she quickly dismissed it and said, no, um, you know, as long as the baby's adopted before six months, there won't be any issue. Huh. And that really riled me up. Um, yeah. It's um, 
I was almost <laughs> going to say that is complete and utter garbage. It is. I knew it was. I mean, I knew my intuition. I just knew my felt experience was that's just not true for me. Yeah. Um, and I think then that was one of the experiences that got me on this crusade of, okay, I didn't, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And in the end, I ended up studying social work. So I think that was more the direction I wanted to go in. But I was in psychology and I had the choice, do I do the honours year, which is research, mm-hmm. or do I leave and move in a different direction? And I decided, well, I'm only going to do honours if I can do my thesis on adoption. Sure. Um, so then I had to find someone who would, like a, an academic who would support me to do that. And I certainly wasn't going to go to that woman who'd made those comments, mm. even though she was the attachment person at that uni. Um, so I found another person and she was great. We kept in touch for many years. Um, and I found out actually in the end that she was an adoptive mother and ah. she never told me to her wow. dying. She never told me that she had an adopted son. But I have no doubt that contributed to her saying, okay, yep, you can do your research on adoption. <laughs> and I would I would keep voicing my beliefs about attachment and adoption and she would just keep pushing back and saying it's what the research says. It's not what you think. It's what the research says. Yeah. Um, and I did the research and the research supported my viewpoint, so that was great. <laughs> um, and through that year actually and through that psychology study I met another adoptee and I would say that was the first adoptee I'd ever connected with right and he was in the same year as me um, and he did his honours research and PhD in the end on attachment stuff as well um, and we'd have these conversations and I remember saying to him one night like all I want to do is work in adoption like mm-hmm. I don't know what else I would want to do that's what I want to do um and at that stage, there were no funded services in Queensland. Right. So it was a dream. But that was kind of the moment when I was like, yeah, that's, I just feel like I need to do this. Yeah. And I guess the question then is I, I can feel that you uh, have been rewarded through your career. Have you, is, that's the feeling I get. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think it's all been, yeah, incredibly rewarding. Like that was 2008 that I did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went on to work in a kind of general counselling setting for a while and joined like the management committee of Jigsaw and joined, um, started um, running some of their peer support groups. And that was, I'd say there was no funding. There was like a tiny, tiny amount of funding for that kind of peer support, there were none of these professional services in Queensland. Obviously, in other right. states there were. Yeah. Um, so I did that, you know, whilst I worked more generally. And then things just started to happen. And, you know, it was all these wonderful people who I've now met, all these advocates, but, like, the apology in 2013, and mm. that was the year, actually, I started working in adoption was 2013. But... Um, that to me still blows my mind that that has even happened. Yeah. 
Um, from from my experience, you know, in uni of being told, no, adopt, what are you talking about? You yeah. know, there's no wish with adoption to having these national and state apologies and having that recognition that what happened wasn't good and yeah. there are all these, you know, having the AIFS study and, yep, yeah, there it all is, mental health impacts of adoption. Um, yeah. It's all just really validating and then to be part of that and to be able to support people. Yeah. Do you think the yeah. um, the national apology was uh, publicised widely enough? No. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, to um, be honest, I didn't know about it. Yeah. Now, I take a reasonable interest in the news and current affairs and politics yeah. and yeah. not that I'm, you know, a member of any party or anything, but I like to know who I'm voting for. And yeah. I didn't know until a guest on this podcast told me about it and sent me the link to the video. Oh and then I watched it and I was like, oh, my God. Um, yeah. And, you know, it blew me away. Wow. Yeah. So you actually started this podcast not having seen that and then yeah. through the course of doing this yeah. it came to you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That says a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, the, the reasons why I'm continuing and doing the podcast are completely different now mm. than what they were when I started because yeah, wow. um, I have a feeling that these are really important conversations to have mm. yeah. for me and you, but mm. more so for the people who are listening because yeah. your story will resonate with somebody and mm. then – they will have questions that they yeah. keep to themselves, but they're not, you know, they're not um, in a position to go and talk to somebody or, or whatever. Yeah, and I totally agree. I, and I think that's what I did actually. And it was actually in my teenage, you know, when I was saying from that letter to when I actually turned eighteen, and actually even before I got the letter, you know, say between ten and fifteen, the mm. internet was around, so yeah. I would actually. Googling adoption and then deleting the internet history. Yeah. But those forums, and most of them were American, but there yeah. was people talking about adoption. I would just soak it all in and then go about my day. Yeah, yeah. But I was processing all of that before I ever, you know, actually acted on it or actually, you know, pursued that study or whatever. And yeah. I have no doubt that there are people that, will be quietly listening and then one day might come forward for support or come forward yeah. to, you know, write their story or yeah. and, search or whatever. And and I think any time where you can even, even tell your story, it is a cleansing type uh, mm. feeling. Um, and then seeking mm. help or feedback or, or validation yeah. that your feelings are valid, mm. you know, yeah. because yeah. – we, we think about what could have been a lot yeah. and they remain as dark shadows in our mind. You know, mm. am I where I am? Who am I? Who am I? Mm. We don't know. Yep. Well, we do. We make up and, and that kind of comes to another little question as well is yeah. the old nature versus nurture mm -hmm. type question. Have you noticed anything that would, you know, See, seeing your birth parents that you see in yourself or um, habits yes. or traits? <laughs> yes. And I sort of said to someone recently, you know, 
and I think this is okay to say on air, but, you know, there have been a lot of challenges over the years. And I think my birth mother would probably say that too. Like, it's really not, none of this is easy. Yeah. Um, but when I see them and, and I saw them earlier this week, like I do see things and some of them are not good things, but I see them and I go, okay, well, I see that in myself and then it gives me actually more of a choice to go, mm. do I want to cultivate that quality or do I want to actually do something different, go down a different path, but knowing that that's there, it's inside of me. But, you know, if I ruminate, if I do certain things, I'm going to go down a more negative path and yeah. I've got a choice to, um, you know, I've got lots of choices, but it's, it's um it's helpful actually mm. just to see that and to to go well it does come from somewhere yeah um I'm not bad I'm not crazy it's um yeah I see that quality in my sister in my in my mother um well, you I can see the consequence before it gets out of hand um for I to to put it into what I saw in my story. Mm is that yep. sometimes I can be slack and mm -hmm. I hate that. But then mm -hmm. I saw that in my birth mother and I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, well, I, I don't want to, I don't want to replicate that. Um, mm. But I, I make concerted efforts not to be. Mm. Um, and, yeah. you know, that's a very small example. But, um, yeah, because yeah, I think... In the conversations I've had with people, they're a balance of nature and nurture because you are the product of your environment and you're growing up. Yeah. And absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's actually um, some research. So when I was doing my psychology degree, um, they would actually have this, they would talk about adoption twin and triplet studies. Okay. Which now that we've had, there's been that film, Three Identical Strangers, where they kind of blow that out of the water and say that was very unethical to even do that research. Yeah, yeah. But I actually found some of the findings helpful because I learned in that, that something like intelligence is highly, highly genetic, but your values are highly environmental. Yes. And that just shows you the interplay. Yeah. Um, so for me it's like, well, yeah, I have these tendencies and some of them are good and some are bad, but generally my my birth family I can say they're pretty intelligent people um but then I have other life experiences and values that kind of drive what I do with mm. that raw genetic yeah yeah um quality yeah yeah no I completely agree and I've said before that uh my parents my adoptive parents mm -hmm. are the ones that taught me morals and, yeah. and ethics yeah. and I get that from them yeah uh, you know, because that is essentially trial and error you do something wrong and okay no that's wrong yeah. this is the yeah. correct way to go down yeah. that yeah um and um yeah so that's very very interesting it is yes <laughs> mm. has there been any other think... oh sorry no that's okay you go ahead i was going to say are there any other um parts in your study that you can that you, you might be mm. going through and then you go oh that relates to me mm. or, or how has that helped you um with your yeah, story 
that's a really good I think um yeah definitely in the psychology that was the main thing was the attachment attachment theory and then I moved on and did social work which is much more about you know systems rather than the individual rather than okay you've got a pathology it's okay how do all these systems impact you and I think I think the reason, you know, I was driven to the social work because I think that is just part of who I am and how I think is it's so true of adoption. Like all of these social impacts are, we know that now, and that's kind of what the apology reinforced was it was all these social level things that drove this numbers of adoptions. Um, And the minute, you know, um, Medicare came in and single mother's benefits and um, all manner of things, access to abortions, the numbers just, you know, fell away because Mm. no one was actually wanting to choose that option. But they felt they had no other choice. Um, So I think for me just gradually learning and putting those pieces together was really helpful to see this as a social phenomenon rather than just one decision that my birth mother made yeah. or anyone's birth mother, I, I you know. I think you've hit the nail right on the head there because mm-hmm. the underlying theory is that mm-hmm. societal pressure yeah. has made a lot of the decisions. Like, mm. oh, back in the day, mm. Uh, mm. if I was a single parent, single mother or unwed, mm. I would have caused mm. a stir, right? Yeah. It would have, it would have, I would have been socially outcast. You know, they're yeah. the types of messages that keep coming through. Um, yeah. And adoption's been with us since we've been having children. Mm. You know, you, you yeah. can go back before we recorded history, and yeah. there's this adoption mm. story. And yeah. you know, you, like a lot of the research that I've done. Mm-hmm. It comes from the states, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of um, opinions on mm-hmm. on what is right or wrong or indifferent. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not going to ask you your opinion because I don't think that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to ask mm-hmm. here, or, or, or that's not what this podcast is all about. But yeah. in the same thing, if you're not adopted, you mm-hmm. can still have, uh, you know, some challenges in your mm-hmm. family unit and there's plenty Absolutely. of people out there. So mm. there, I, don't, I don't know if there is an answer, but, um, yeah, you know, circumstances are circumstances. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, what it is is the, tra- you know, it was kind of like, well, why was there this spike? Yeah. Now, adoption still happens now in Australia, but the numbers are very low. Mm. And compared to somewhere like America, they're a lot higher. And, mm. you know, you can, we can analyse all day yeah. why that is, but I think there are social level, you know, factors going on yeah. um, that cause that difference. But, yes, we don't need to go down that No, path. no, and that's, that's not what <laughs> yeah. this podcast is all about yeah. because, you know, yeah. I, I don't want to push any angle at all. Um, that's, yeah. That's, yeah. that's not That's not what I want to do. Yeah. This is about your story. Yeah. So how are you now? Yeah. Where um whereabouts are you sitting? Ah, that's a very good question. Um, 
know. I don't know how to answer that actually because I feel quite confused actually at yep. this moment in my life. Um, so on a personal level, um, I guess with my birth family, I it's been a roller coaster. So I met them when I was 18. Um, I, I don't know, had a couple of years of close contact. I then cut off contact because I, I didn't feel that it was something positive in my life. And I tried to maintain with my siblings, but not with my birth mother. Um, when I was 26 and 27 months apart, both my adopted parents died and that was right. awful. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it's still, you know, it's almost 10 years. It'll be 10 years in March and it's still just like how and wow did that really happen? Yeah. Because I was, I was really young. Um, and so I kind of got, not that I got back in contact, but so things happened and I ended up back in contact with my birth parents. And I just decided at that point, um, I think this is important. It's it's challenging, but I think it's important because um, I don't want to have regrets. Like, you know, I just realised from that life is short. You, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, and I just, and I don't have a huge amount of family. So I guess I just, my, my mind shifts, um, mindset shifted and I just kind of thought, okay, what level of contact would feel okay for me? Yeah. Um, and not sort of jeopardize my mental health, I guess. Um, and so I basically, and, you know, so since then for the last, I don't know, maybe, yeah, eight or nine years, I, I kind of see them a few times a year, um, birthdays, Christmas, not necessarily on the day, but, you know, around the day. And I just, yeah, do my best to maintain like a positive relationship with them and a bit more contact with my siblings. Um, And then professionally I've gone through quite a number of changes um, because I kind of got to the point, I guess, where I felt like I'd grown as much as I could in like a direct counselling search intermediary type role, like that direct helping people was very fulfilling. But I, I think I'm someone that I need to keep growing. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, well, what's next? Yeah. Um, and I think um, for me, I started to realise actually more the education and the community yeah. side is more what I'm interested in. Yep. Um, so I took a team leader role at our state fund- funded service here in Queensland and did that for about a year and kind of it was very challenging year because I think I'd gotten really good at helping people one-on-one and compartmentalizing my stuff and you know the people I'm helping but then when I was kind of at that higher level it wasn't so easy Mm. um there's just so many layers going on and it was a very challenging experience um, and I left that in December 2022 and was very, very lucky um, to be approached about another role that I'm doing now, which is more in that community space and it's around trying to establish a mentoring program nice. for younger adoptees and older adoptees in the inter-country space. But right, okay. Maybe, maybe it will grow in time. 
Um, so I'm really happy doing that at the moment, but it is a contract and right. the adoption adoption area, I have to say, is very underfunded. It's very yeah. um, under-resourced. So there just aren't a lot of opportunities in that way. So I guess I'm just kind of what's next? You know, yeah. do I just go out on my own and try to do something like people like you are doing? Um, and the literary festival was great yeah. because um, sort of partnering and being on that working group with Park was a way of um, doing some of that work and and just trying to, it's just that awareness raising, that community building, both yep. of those together. And yep. I think that's what I'm really most passionate about. Yeah, cool. Because I think yeah. the more we do these types of things, the I mm-hmm. think the stronger the community will be because I feel yep. that we're a community that doesn't have a community. Like sometimes mm-hmm. we know that somebody else is adopted, but then yeah. we don't bond with that person. Oh, yeah, that person mm-hmm. over there is adopted, same as me. And we're mm. nearly like a bunch of individuals just doing our own thing. But yeah. the support is there through what you're doing as well and you're doing mm. great work. And uh, on behalf of the community, I thank you. I think that oh, you're doing great you. work because the more people like you doing these types of things, mm-hmm. the more comfortable we will be to talk mm. to people and express our Correct. feelings and, and deal with the trauma that, that we deal with. Mm. And, yeah, you know, that can only lead to more healthy human beings, really. Absolutely. I really think the sharing and the normalising and mm. destigmatizing yeah. helps huge amount yeah 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 otherwise we can all feel very alone and very isolated yeah Yeah. absolutely so one one last question before we uh wrap this uh conversation up jane yeah if you could go back in time Mm. and talk to yourself when you were making some big decisions would you change anything or what advice would you give yourself Uh, well I wish I could do that. That yeah. would be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I've made a lot of decisions and some of them were good and some of them were questionable. So oh my goodness, what would I what would I actually say though? Everything's always easier in hindsight. It is. Um because there hmm. could be somebody who's listening yeah. to this who is about to make a decision who mm. you by your magical time traveling Uh, experience might be able to help them out yeah I think it's it sounds like a cliche but I think it's be true to yourself like try to really um sit with with yourself and what's authentically true for you and sort of you know act accordingly yeah um, I feel like though that's not always the easy path because, you know, it things you can't control anyone else, so you yeah. can't control what is going to happen as a result of decisions that you make. But, um, you know, it's just doing your best, and and I think being authentic because I think a lot of adoptees that's really hard. We really do try to seek safety and yeah. seek yeah, okay for me to see what. Um, what does everyone else need? So just coming back to that, obviously being mindful and respectful of other people, considerate, but um, 
yeah, being authentic as much as possible. You've got to do what's right for you. Mm, yep. Indeed. Yep, well, that's, I think um, so. that's fantastic advice. Thank you so much, Jane. Thank you. Thank you for your time and for spreading the word about the Literary Festival. My pleasure. Um, if uh, someone who's listening wants to uh, go and check out the uh, online uh, recordings, where can they go and see or f- where can they look it up? Yeah, they can. Um, to, I think two options. Um, go onto YouTube and the Benevolent Society have a YouTube channel and the videos are shared there from the Literary Festival, but also the Post Adoption Resource Centre Park, um, their Facebook page, they've shared them on there as well. Yep, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thanks, Jane. Thanks. That was Jane Sleeker, uh, and she was coming to us from Brisbane. And we want to uh, thank Jane again for her time and her story. And if you've got uh, a story that you want to tell, touch base with us here at the Facebook page and uh, or send me a message on Messenger and uh, we will be in touch. And until next time, it's bye for now. Oh, I shouldn't have laughed just then. I did like a mini laugh, sorry. <laughs> Hopefully that won't come through. Oh, it'll come through. It's all good. Oh, shit. <laughs> Whoops. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.